It's the Q Review Season 2. Hi, this is Z Machine, and you're listening to my new song, Stealing Candy, on the Q Review. It's about that one memory of that one person you're trying your damn hardest to forget that just sneaks up on you and completely destroys your day and turns you into a little bit of a psycho. So, basically, as close to a love song as I can get. I'm, uh, I'm so happy to finally share this one with everyone, and I'm really proud of it, so thanks for listening. Try to look like I have my shit together, but you saw me fall apart. And I'm locked out of Hollywood, and nobody's paying for my car. My better judgment let me down, down, down. And each reminder's gonna keep me bound until I forget you. But it's taking a while. Thought of you stealing candy from the living room. I don't wanna say how I miss you, but I kinda do. Well, I'm just trying to keep a sanity through the afternoon when I lose it all. Cause I thought of you stealing candy from the living room. Call me sweet, call me precious, call me up, say your mother she would do. If I told you I've been waiting by your door Congratulations, finally got your crown If I could drink, I'd buy me one more round And if I upset you, I'll be faking a smile And I don't wanna go putting all the blame on you I was doing alright and then I thought of you Stealing candy from the All right, joining us today on the Q Review, we have from the new hit series, Netflix series, V Wars, playing Jurgen, we have breakout star, Teddy Moynihan. Welcome to the show, Teddy. 
Thank you very much for having me. You're in Toronto now, but you're, as if anyone is listening, can probably tell maybe (laughs) from your voice a little bit that you're maybe not 100% originally from Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am originally from the UK. I moved to Toronto uh, 2018, so I've been here two years now. How are you enjoying Toronto? This is quite, this is an answer that um, I say a lot, and I've, and there's quite a few British people here, actually, that I come across sort of in the industry and just around about. And we all kind of have a similar answer to that. And the answer is there's pros and cons to kind of everywhere you go. This is a very different city to London. I, I was living in London for a little bit in the UK. And that, I would sort of classify that as my main city. It's a lot less congested. It's a lot bigger. And... I, I do say with some confidence that I think the standard of living here is pretty good. And I really enjoy the city. I mean, I'm not, there's no sort of, I'm back and forth a little bit between the UK and Toronto, but I've really settled here. And I think that that's quite telling. So it is, I'm having a very positive experience in the city. Um, when it comes to work, there's a lot more variety in sort of things that performers could do and could be sort of showcased. So I'm, I'm happy to kind of just keep going on this trajectory. Well, you 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 came to us via the UK, and your mm-hmm. your your UK uh, experience is more theatre than film, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I um I always considered that sort of to be my focus. When I was very young, I was a dancer, an always a dancer, singer, actor. That was always kind of my thing. Very stage school. I was very. I really wanted to be on stage. And I went to one of the top drama schools in London and graduated and was working in London for about a year and a half and did some pretty good gigs, Um, was on a pretty uh, good journey. And um, I had very little experience in the TV film world there. I um, actually was told at kind of drama school that I, me personally, that my sort of style of acting and just the way I hold myself is quite um, quite big, and it wouldn't necessarily work in a filmic setting, uh, which is quite funny now because I'm one of the only people in my class, graduating class who's done any sort of TV. But that's just how it, the the universe works, I guess. But um, so I wasn't really checking for it to be honest. Um, I always thought it was kind of something that was so out of my um, reach that I wasn't even really um, interested in trying it. But I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to do some TV film work. Well, I mean, and speaking of that, for anyone who's mm-hmm. not familiar, you recently uh, graced all of our TVs across the world <laughs> in a little show called V Wars. Just on a Netflix. little show. Yeah, just, just a, a little, little show. Just, yeah, just a little short. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yes, so now... Yes. With Netflix being as large as it is, and of course it's right. you know there's different production companies or whatnot. When right. you get the call that says you're going to be on a Netflix original right. show, right. how does that feel? Okay, this is a, a bit of a maybe not the answer you're expecting, but I will say that um, it kind of links in with what I was just talking about. I really wasn't checking for TV film, so when I had the audition for V Wars, it was very much like I'll just go, I'll just kind of treat it like a workshop. I have such lack of experience in this particular field. Have, I'll have a good time. We can talk about this a little bit later, but for example, the role that I played in V Wars, the original character description 
was on paper completely different to how I am as uh, physically, aesthetically, um, vocally, like they wanted somebody Norwegian, they wanted uh, somebody super, super tall, super, super built. And so I got the character description and I immediately thought, well, this isn't me. I'm just going to go in and have a bit of fun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yes, then I got a call back, which I really wasn't expecting because I thought the first round was so sort of it was very workshoppy and I expected it to be because I'd never sort of, I'd, I'd learned a little bit of sort of TV film etiquette and audition technique, but it's so different to theatre, you know, where everything is very expressive and you're sort of used to talking to a point on the wall. This was a lot more subtle and a lot more um, real. And I, enjoy, I enjoyed it sort of learning about it a little bit. But then I got the call back and then eventually I got cast. And um, so I was um, rehearsing for a theater show here in Canada at the time. And I got a call during rehearsal. And this is just how I so wasn't even checking for V-Wars. Like I just wasn't even in, in my wildest dreams, I didn't think I'd get it. I, I thought, well, it was a good experience. They enjoyed me, they were laughing, but why would I, someone with no experience, someone sort of, you know, fresh off the boat from a different country, be given an opportunity like that? I would, and I didn't have an agent at the time here in, in Canada. I didn't have an agent, I had no kind of representation. Um, so again, it was all very, um, just very, a quick process but it was just kind of an odd process that I wasn't really thinking or investing a lot of thought into. I was rehearsing for a show and I got a call on my phone and it was from an unknown number so I ignored it and um, <laughs> then yeah I know on my way home and the rehearsal had finished at sort of 10 30 in the evening I was going home with um, a friend of mine and my phone kept calling, uh, like kept buzzing. And I was like, you know, I better pick this up. And it turned out, well, I picked up a voicemail and it turned out to be um, Stephanie Gorin, who's like this top casting director in Canada. And she was, she was just like, call me now. Basically left a voicemail. And I was like, oh gosh, here we go. Because I, I, I suspected maybe it was something to do with was. So I called her back and I didn't even think, Teddy, it's like 11 p.m. at night. She's probably not going to be in the office. Um, so I called her personal cell number and her husband picked up and then she picked up and she was like, you got the job, blah, 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 blah. And I was so, I don't know, just because so, things were happening so quickly for me, it was a very kind of, very humbling, but it was also, um, it was a lot to process. So I was very kind of initially nonchalant about it. It was kind of a disbelief. I felt maybe, not that they'd made a mistake, I didn't know whether it would sort of come to fruition, to be honest. So I was very nonchalant on the phone. I was like, oh, this is very interesting, okay. And, and Stephanie was so like, this is gonna change your life. Like, you know, she was very like <laughs> excited about it. That was kind of my, <laughs> that was kind of my um, experience when I first got the role. I really didn't settle in. And I, some actors will probably agree with me when they talk about sort of their first gigs, it really didn't hit me how exciting the opportunity was until my first day on set. I'd been to my costume fitting, I'd been to a read through, I'd sort of met some of the cast, went for like a cast meal. It, none of it hit me. I kind of got all of those feelings that you would get of gratification, of like pride and everything. It didn't hit me until we were literally on set the first day about to shoot scene one, which is crazy, but it just, I think it was just, so real it, it, it was happening do you know what I mean so that was kind of when everything kind of hit me to be honest so it was a very odd reaction I know but 
most of your scenes have been with uh, Jackie Lai, uh, yes. who plays Kaylee Vo on the on the show. Was she part of your audition, or did you meet her afterwards? I met her afterwards, actually. She is one of my friends who lives in Vancouver, so she didn't go in to audition. She sent um, some tapes, and because I'm I was based in Toronto at the time, still am. Um, I I went in, and the creative team were Toronto based, so they were able to see me in person. I remember Stephanie mentioning the casting director mentioning that sort of my co-star was going to be this beautiful girl um i was really really excited to meet her and we hit it off straight away so we met for the first time actually at the read through which was sort of a i would say a week and a half before we went to set just hit it off straight away we really i'm so lucky that my first experience doing a tv show because i really did work very closely with jackie um she's just somebody that's so willing and so has absolutely no qualms about getting very tactile very quickly about having a really great healthy working relationship being fun being a friend um and that's exactly what you need when you're doing a show like that because we really were working very very closely um and had a huge you know arc romantic arc to kind of fulfill and i really felt that we had such chemistry um, so I'm really happy that we were working together and I'd love to work with her some more. And we're great friends, you know. Your very first screen shot of, of you yes. is, it's, it's, a, it's a romantic scene, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And um, yes, it is. It is a romantic scene. So we would receive the scripts. At, when you're doing a new show, it's, um, I think for a first season at least, I think it's, you're more likely to be getting multiple drafts of scripts daily, to be right. honest. We had about, especially for that first episode, I remember reading about what felt like 10 scripts. It just kept being sort of re-looked at, rewritten different bits and different parts. And yeah, that was quite daunting. I kind of had an inkling uh, in the audition that there was going to be it was going to be, I wouldn't say exposing, but there was definitely going to be elements of I was going to have to be shirtless and stuff like that. Even in the audition, you know, I was told to like take my shirt off and stuff. Not in any kind of, you know, peculiar way. Like we had a great, it was a great welcoming audition room and it was totally needed for the role. So, um, but that was slightly daunting to me since, as I previously mentioned, you know, the particular breakdown for the role, it was sort of like, this guy has to be super tall, he has to be super muscular, you know, sort of tall, dark, handsome, very lean. And so I was like, I, I hope I um, match up, that kind of thing. But of course, when it cut, it's, it's, this is how it is with a new show. If you walk in and you kind of take risks and you, and you give a performance that sort of maybe the creative team weren't anticipating, then... And they like that better than perhaps what is written, then that's what's going to happen. That you will get the role, which is which is a nice thought. You know, it's not a show that sort of has had lots of momentum, and there's a specific type of role that you're going for. There's a lot of openness about the characters. Just watching it, the two of you match up really well right. um, because she her personality in the show is very large um, yeah. and it's very driven. And yours is kind of uh, a little bit more obsessive and you are that tech guy kind of thing. Right, so right. it does work. Whereas the other way, it may not have. The, the role originally was, I don't think was as fleshed out as it ended up being. I was definitely initially 
written to be the side piece. I was really written to just kind of be this sort of piece of meat, had a bit of a sense of humor, but I don't think sort of had the arc that I ended up getting because, you know, when we were auditioning, we had, they were, I think the writer's room maybe had a draft of episode one and then ideas for episode two and three. So there really was still a huge way to go character wise. So no one really knew how long they were going to last in the show. So at any moment that I got, every I, I felt actually as the scripts went on, there was more opportunity uh, for my character to sort of be sort of alive and, and, a, and an interesting presence. And actually, I was very lucky, and I, and I uh, still stand by this. I remember receiving the scripts, especially for the later episodes, and being really proud of my character and proud that I was playing Jürgen because I think that he is one character that you automatically are rooting for because he's a kind of an underdog. He's, I think, have, has a lot of relatability actually as well in kind of sort of any demographic. There's that personality traits that everybody can kind of relate to. Uh, sort of a very hu human quality to him sort of sucked into a world of kind of a non-human a non world, very a human in a non-human world kind of thing. It was, it was just very exciting to play him. I'd like to think that this, the sort of the producers, the writers saw sort of how I was playing it and um, sort of went from there because there was a lot of adjustments and a lot sort of more dialogue added as we went because of our chemistry. So, and I think it worked really, really well, actually. You you will you probably know more than I do. I'm not mm -hmm. sure how much you do know. I know how the first season ends. Spoilers. Mm -hmm. um, there's some question as to whether or not Jurgen, your character, mm -hmm. um, uh, how he ends up, mm -hmm. what we see on on film, and what I mm -hmm. believe I think are very very different. First, you think that oh they're a bit of a throwaway character for comic relief or whatnot, and they're right, but right. as they go on, they build so much and more. So my hope is that something has happened to make sure that you could come back for a season two. I do not. <laughs> right. I don't know either. I mean, it's all very up in the air for all of us, to be quite honest at this point. I am really at peace with the fact, and it's a, it's a huge honor for any actor in whatever, um, in whatever sort of field, whether it be theater, TV, movies, to be able to create a character. You know, no one else has played Jürgen. Jürgen is sort of my creation in a lot of ways. And that's such, um, that's a really humbling thing. And that's, so I'm so happy with Jürgen's journey, with his trajectory. Yes, there are certain things that happen in the show that, um, that he goes on, he definitely goes on sort of a thrill ride. And then it, there is a lot of ambiguity there with the end of that character. There is ambiguity. And I, I mean, I'm so passionate about Jürgen as well. And I'm passionate about Kaylee and Jürgen's journey in the show that um, I think there's a lot of room for exploration and a further sort of narrative in that respect. The majority of the fans are really enjoying the show and really enjoyed our relationship and our dynamic. So, and I think that was, the box was ticked because I, that was really what we both really, really wanted. We wanted to be the characters that you root for. So I'm, I'm glad that we achieved that. What's up? This is Clinton John, and you're listening to my new single, Cry, on the Q Review. Cry is a song about not being able to get over someone and how I wish that I could have just had a night that I screamed those emotions out, cried myself to sleep, and as those tears were leaving, the feelings for that person would as well. But 
Four years later, I still haven't cried and I'm still not really over it. I'm craving a feeling, wish I didn't need it. Same way I needed you. seasons it different in the uk of course because mm-hmm. watching a, a series in the uk it could be six episodes where in north america we got to the point where it was like 20 to 24 episodes in a season it can exhaust ideas and it can exhaust the 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 actors and we've gotten right. to um this this world now of these shorter condensed seasons of like maybe 10 episodes or 12 episodes uh-huh. which is Actually, now they uh-huh. prefer a strong story and strong performance mm-hmm. versus the other 10 episodes that they didn't get that they'll get the next season because the 10 episodes that they did get, the 12 episodes they got, were so strong. Right. Um, yeah. So I can imagine being someone who doesn't have as much TV background as you did, 
those <laughs> scripts coming in, it's probably become more of the norm of, of the scripts changing so much because mm-hmm. it is, it's like you do need to nail it in the shorter period of time. Yes, absolutely. I think even, I mean, the scripts were being changed even after production. So when I would go in to do audio, I would be dubbing over myself saying a different line or taking words out of um, certain phrases. I will say this as just a disclaimer, there was, I would say probably double the Jürgen Kaylee material that was, which is completely the nature of the, and I don't say that with any sort of maliciousness, there was we did so much more content that was in the end cut down. And I totally see why it was cut down because I'm living through Jürgen. I'm living through his story and his journey. But of course, the show is living through multiple people's journeys and has to move pretty quickly and only has 10 episodes to tell the story. That's, that's always very interesting because you can receive a script and you have five solid scenes in an episode. And then even after that's all been shot, you've all gone home and production and sort of editing starts those scenes how you know they may have been the best quality writing and such an interesting art for the character even after production that's still being edited uh, the stories the storylines are still changing i know things i don't want to sort of spoil anything but i know the beginning of the show not any scenes i was involved with but scenes to do with the doctor and luther and just sort of the sorry luther and um uh, fane the whole um release of the virus that particular opening sequence where um, they're in the Arctic and stuff on the page initially and I think right up until last few days of filming actually and this is episode one we're talking about so we would have filmed we filmed everything in chronological order where where possible we had to do some reshoots at, at points but right until the last few days of filming there was a completely different beginning and a lot and a lot more fleshed out beginning what what um ended up being part of the show actually completely works but um it's just interesting that as you're going through things as because i think you really can't tell how a show comes together until you watch it on paper it may seem really great some really great scenes for everybody but i think watching it watching how people really respond to the dialogue that they're given that also determines how things are cut down and um i Basically, to wrap it all up, I think the process is so much longer than people might anticipate. It's not just simply, you know, you'll get another script the following day with a change. That will happen, but changes are being made on the editing floor, you know, during audio. So it's constantly being sort of changed. And so because, I mean, people are so passionate about a new show. They want it to be absolutely perfect. You're right, 100%. That um, as a viewer, we get probably 20% of the idea of what goes into a production. The other 80% is the toiling of it, is kind of getting it right. It's being assembled a certain way. It's being tested. And you you sit at the the, the reading table and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden things start to change there as well as as they start to notice things. So and, and I will say with every confidence that my experience doing VWARS was an amazingly positive one. And my experience to actually, that watching the show, um, it, you know, stringing all of the content together of my character, there was, uh, my experience is very different to perhaps what was sort of shown and what the sort of takes that were, and how it all fits together. I'm on set doing, you know, multiple scenes back to back of um, Jürgen and Kaylee. So my experience will have felt very different to actually being as part of the fully fleshed out story. So it's 
even as actors, it's not, we can also be the last to know how something's going to turn out, you know. For example, there was one scene in episode one that was originally two scenes that they spliced together. So there's always little uh, changes that we don't even notice, you know. I, I Upon re-watching, there were certain things that I was like, oh, I remember there was another line there or there was a different entrance at that point. It's really cool being part of a project where you kind of have the inside scoop a little bit and you, ha you kind of know sort of what things were and how they've changed and stuff like that. So that's an experience that, you know, nobody else has can have, which is nice. Especially with a new show, you feel like you've been through the whole process. You know, you mentioned, you know, you came up the you know, theater and in terms of acting, singing and, and directing. And we know you can sing because mm -hmm. you have put a few things out on Instagram, a few belters that we've been able to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that theater training that is is very bold and very crisp. And, you know, that enunciation of, of song and musical theater, which is, uh -huh. you know, such a bold presence in in stage. Yeah. Have you looked at crossing over? Is music mm -hmm. a, a potential for the future for you? Would you look at that? Or is that something where it's kind of like, it's on the stage, it stays on the stage, but would you get into the recording studio, I guess is what I was saying, thinking. Thank you for that question, actually, because as of recently, I'm really taking this year to sort of think about all the different aspects of my craft that I, that I have and that I need honing a little bit. And um, singing is something not just from a musical theatre perspective, but just generally is something that I've been very lucky. I've never, I've never really struggled with singing. I, it's always something that I enjoy doing. You know, if I was sort of told to an audition to prepare a song, that's never, that's never a worry for me. And it's always exciting. And I love to sort of showcase and perform. I well, you're good at it. That's, well, that's, that's you. a good thing too. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I definitely my experiences in theatre. However, I write songs, you know, I write songs. I would consider myself a musician as well as everything else. It's a very different dynamic, I think, being a musician. And I think just as an actor, we're, it's a similar kind of journey. It's, it's never easy. And I've um, just kind of had, I've not necessarily had a very easy path into performing. I know some people sort of, maybe their parents were into it and they had certain doors opened for them. I would like to think that I've, got a lot of um, opportunities on merit. You can be absolutely an astronomically talented singer, but kind of never get that big platform. And not that, that is, that's not a bad thing at all. I think we need to do things that we enjoy and not do things to sort of gain traction. But for me at this point, I feel like I've got so much to give. And I feel there's people out there, you know, who have got these skills and maybe are happy to kind of plod along and, and kind of work and get gigs where they can. But for me, and I know there's a group of people out there who, who you know, have certain talents, you do want to gain traction. You feel like you've got a lot to give. You've got a lot of um, a story to tell, you, you know. So when it comes to sort of singing and being maybe an artist, like recording artist or something, it's something that I could see myself getting very passionate about because it's very theatrical, to be quite honest, you know. Um, everything that comes along with it, you see that it's a very visual thing um, now, being a singer. And it's not necessarily all about you know, the highest note you can hit. It's not all necessarily about, you know, musicianship. There's so much that comes along with being a successful musician nowadays. It's very aesthetically based. It's very what, what's appealing to kind of the masses. I don't necessarily follow pop culture trends and things like that. I, I really am a creative that just will write a song if I feel it kind of coming to me. And I think that's a great way to kind of, you know, go through life because then any sort of benefits that you reap will be very naturally manifested. But 
it would be an interesting journey, I think. I'm very open to anything, very open to any sort of experience. It's, I'm not I wouldn't consider myself a sort of pop singer. I can do that kind of singing, but I've never had, I've never really stood on stage and done a pop concert, you know? Right. So that would be, that'd be a cool thing to do, definitely. There's a lot of genres to tap into. You you may find yourself in rap, for all you know. Right, right, totally, <laughs> totally. No, completely. Um, I I really appreciate musicians who, um, first of all, write their own material. And I think lyricism is such a beautiful thing. And I'm a writer, I'm a creative writer, so I really enjoy crafting a song. So that's what I look for in sort of artists. And um, they, they can be in all forms. It doesn't have to necessarily be pop singing. It can be, it, there can be rap too. There's some beautiful lyrics that I like really resonate with, but it's like a sort of funky dance song. But then you take away some of the lyrics and it's like, I felt that emotion. Recently, there's a song by um, Clean Bandit. I love them. They're like, like they sort of like mix classical music and like have like sort of pop singers cover a lot of songs. They've had like Demi Lovato and other people. There's a song called I Miss You. And there's this beautiful line where it's, um, uh, I know you're, I know you're in Carpo hanging with your brother, wishing that I was your bottle so I could be close to your lips again. Just that kind of, that metaphor of like, you want to be with someone so badly that you'd be the bottle that they're like drinking from because you just want to feel their lips on yours. Like, I think that's so powerful. And I, I'm, as I say, I'm very over analytical. So I'll find these lyrics. And even though it's like this funky, like dance beat, it's like, you know, think of sort of how those lyrics came to be, like the pain that that person must have been feeling. Yeah, I think it's, I think it would be an interesting career shift, perhaps, you know. You're in a good city for it. There's lots of artists around if you did want to kind of tap into mm -hmm. it. So, and I'm sure that you you don't even need the city for that. I mean, I'm sure that you have lots of, of friends and, and folks that you're connected with. You know, people often will be surprised when an artist switches from one, you know, style or, or one um, type of artistry to another when actors become singers or singers mm. become actors. Whereas most of the time, if you're in a creative industry, you probably are dipping your, your feet into all the different creative pools. Right, right. It's just that one may be one that resonates with you more so than the other in that moment. And then you shift later on. Totally. And I think, you know, that's a that's a good and bad thing, I think, because a, a definitely a good thing as a creative person. You know, it's I, I'm, I remember people back in the day being a jack of all trades and a master of none was net, was actually looked down upon. But actually, I think it's um it's really good to be a versatile performer in kind of every sense. However, we do live in a world, even in this in a creative industry, where if you're not kind of, I want to say sort of transparent with your sort of what you're putting out to the world, whether it be, so whatever particular route you're going down, for example, you know, I'm a theatre actor, but I've done TV. So that can be, and I know this sounds sort of petty, but it can be very confusing to even casting directors to be like, well, how do we place you? What, what, what like, what's your, you know, what's the experience that you've had? Where do you want to go? And for me, it's very like, well, I'm, I want to, do everything, you know, sign me up for everything. I, I'd like to see a world, and I'd may, maybe I am the one to create these opportunities where people are allowed to cross over and be very fluid with the material that they put out for that not necessarily to be sort of looked down upon or a confusing dynamic. Because I think a lot of people, it's just a safety net. We live in a kind of a world where people want to have that safety net and they know kind of where they'll see certain faces. I've got a little following now, and a lot of them 
will kind of be from V Wars. And so, you know, I'll do some singing and it'll be like, you can sing, you know, but actually <laughs> that's actually my background. I was a singer before I did any of this. And it's, and it's great that I'm introducing that to people, but it's, um, you know, it's just interesting how you honed a certain part of your craft for such a long time, then you get one gig and suddenly you're known for that. You know, it'd be great if we lived in a world where everyone was kind of doing everything. But with the entertainment industry as well, just and and just media in general, this this platform itself uh, talks a lot about like how you know the expectations of you being and staying in one lane. Um, and I think that we're seeing a lot of more queer artists not being in the closet and coming out, but actually starting their career by being out simply yeah, yeah. because they do want to have that flexibility and that fluidity to, to know themselves and, and to have people know who they are. Um, because if they do go the other route, then it becomes the, the question of when do you show people your real self? Completely. Um, you know, there used to be a lot more ambiguity when it came to sort of queer artists, singers, for example, you know, there, there would be a love song, but it would never mention a gender. So you would never really be quite fully sure. True. And I think it's I think it's a nice I mean, that's totally fine, too, because we live in a very kind of non-binary world now where everything should be very fluid and very kind of and ambiguity, I think, is actually a really cool thing. But um it's also great now that we're slowly, slowly sort of being able to make statements straight off the bat, you know, as a, as a queer artist, you know, and you, we're not scared to talk about being relationship, you know, if I was writing a song and I could talk about being in a relationship with a guy and mentioning male pronouns and stuff like that, you know, even in the early 2000s, I can't recall any kind of song written by a guy that was about sort of a male relationship so overtly. Um, so it's nice that we're kind of getting a bit more representation. We can kind of hear our stories being told because um, being part of a, the queer community, we have such a different experience, such a different lived experience that uh, and stories to tell that only sometimes we can relate to, you know. So it's really nice to be able to hear stories like that being told through song or through different mediums and stuff like that so I think we're on a pretty good track I'd like to think it continues as a young person yourself and and even younger than you you think about somebody who's a teenager now you think about they have the opportunity now to actually hear themselves represented in song and in film Um, they can actually have musical heroes to stand behind and, and to you know gravitate towards that they can relate to differently mm-hmm. and, and I think that's really important yeah it is very important I mean I um I, I consider it quite lucky that I as a, a gay person was playing a straight person in in a quite a a big show that gained a lot of traction a lucky in the sense that I like to think that there are people out there there are queer people out there that maybe feel and I think we've all felt like this and all been told maybe at one point or another that there's certain limitations to our craft that we will only ever play a certain type of role that um, those types of roles are only for those types of people and your experience you can't you can't really relate to being a straight male kind of thing you know um, I don't think that's true anymore and I think it's and I think the more opportunities that we get as queer artists to not only tell our own stories but be able to tell stories um, that maybe are not necessarily lived experiences is is really important. And I'd like to hope kind of inspiring to people to continue going. 
you know, I know, for example, at school sometimes, you know, I'd be told you're quite, you're, you know, you're, you're too camp or something. And it would actually be an interpretation of a role that I'd done. It was never that I was necessarily being overtly camp deliberately. It was just, oh, I thought this role was kind of needed a bit of sort of campness. So, you know, even in queer spaces like drama schools, creative spaces, creative hubs, you know, spaces created by queer people, for queer people, uh, there's still a little bit of prejudice towards how gay you are, you know, how, you know, openly flamboyant, feminine you want, you know, you are, because it can be quite confusing to certain people. So I think it's just really important that we keep living our authentic selves and have opportunities to not only tell our stories, but as I say, tell the stories of people that we can't necessarily relate to and show the world that there's that you know it's very interchangeable it's very one and the same in a lot of ways so i think that's awesome i think that's a really great way to look at it Mm -hmm. so looking to the future Mm -hmm. do you have anything that's coming up on the horizon right now there's a few projects coming up that i'm you know excited to get to at certain points I want to, it's it's a difficult kind of, um, when there's a lot of sort of things you want to achieve, and I wouldn't say necessarily in a small space of time, but I want, I like to achieve things and gain traction, gain momentum, you know, steadily but surely. There's always room for improvement and there's always room to sort of humble yourself and um, realise your limitations. So I've got a lot of, I love, you know, more theatre, more TV, like there's a lot of things potentially in the pipeline. There's a lot of other things that I want to work on as well. And I think as a working actor, as a working artist, the work is never over. And you're even, you know, even when you're with sort of doing our Joe jobs and stuff, because I think there's this misconception that you get one big TV gig and suddenly you're set for life. You don't have, you know, you're not paying your rent anymore and all the TV jobs are, you know, coming in and everything's going great and it's just job after job after job after job. That isn't how it works for the most part for most people in this industry and I don't think that that's a shameful thing at all I think it's the more experience we get I mean for me personally my sort of career is like a Richter scale it's very up and down and when I say down there's not low points but there's definitely there'll be a a few months where there's just absolutely nothing going down like absolutely like no auditions no traction no nothing but then suddenly I'll book a a major job so that's also a valid career like some people's careers are very sort of I wouldn't say flatline but go sort of job to job to job to job to job but they're kind of doing similar jobs and they're it may not necessarily be very an extremely exciting career to other people but to them it's exactly what they want out of their craft for me I'm enjoying sort of you know every job and having a little break between and things like that like I think that's just kind of how my life has sort of manifested itself where not everything is I'm never guaranteed anything Um, and then when I do get things I get great highs and then I have to sort of come back to earth and kind of you know, go back to kind of serving and waiting and doing whatever I can to make my rent and stuff like that. And there's no, and that never really stops, you know, unless, unless suddenly you become a superstar, that never really stops, you know, even people into their like late thirties, it's the same kind of lifestyle. It's what we've signed up for. And just rather than just thinking about necessarily working, going to class all the time and like 
auditioning a lot, you're actually working on your craft by simply doing your Joe job, by simply hustling, by simply making rent, by simply building a life for yourself, because that's lived experience that you can then add to castings, you know, to roles that you will later play. It's, I, I think you should have quite a humble lifestyle where you have really been in touch with every sort of high and low point, And that will give you a much broader perspective how to sort of play different roles, I think. So working on myself in that respect, not just going to class and stuff like that. It's just keeping on sort of that positivity, you know, being very grateful for every opportunity and stuff like that. That's also extremely important as an actor and as a performer to remain positive and open. But uh, it can be hard, though. I'm hoping for uh, a season two and Jurgen. I'm ho- mm-hmm. I would I might have to start a letter writing campaign. Um, no, it's not a hashtag. It's not a hashtag. <laughs> hashtag safe Jurgen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Team Jurgen. Yeah, Team Jurgen. Um, we're going to be watching what you're you're doing and hopefully you know seeing more of that and and hearing more. I'm very excited to to, to watch as you grow as an artist and see what you kind of bring out. Before we head out, though. Where can people find you online? Because they should. Thank you. Well, I have Instagram is kind of my main platform right now. I'm not a huge social media. I don't have a huge social media presence. It's quite a humble presence. But stay tuned. There's a lot. I try and post some exciting stuff, some videos, some singing. Uh, I'm at Teddy Moynihan underscore. And Moynihan is M O Y. N-I-H-A-N. I'd like to think I'm the first you type in Teddy and I'd pop straight up, but um, I don't I don't know. I haven't tried it. I'm also on YouTube as well. Uh, that's just my name, Teddy Moynihan. That's very, very humble. It's mainly singing videos on there. There's a little bit of dance as well. Just to give people sort of an idea of sort of my um, abilities. That was just a bit of fun, but you know, feel free to kind of see the different things I can do. And I do I've done some singing videos on there from quite a few years ago and some more recent ones i am youtube teddy moynihan instagram teddy moynihan underscore well thank you for joining us today and you you know this has been awesome to be able to kind of talk to you about your you know your background your craft and that and especially where you're someone who's kind of now just starting to to really get into film um it's great to kind of watch as you as you grow and as you roll out some other new things there's gonna be yeah there's gonna be some exciting times ahead you know some guaranteed some maybe in the future but um i definitely feel that there's some really cool things in the pipeline so yeah definitely stay tuned we will definitely do that (laughs) Thank thank you so much teddy thank you so much A little Dishin' with Dougie. It's Dishin' with Dougie! Dishin' with Dougie! This week's question is, who is my favorite undiscovered band? I feel like most of the queer artists that uh, we talk about on Q Review and on the Q Review podcast are kind of undiscovered to the greater audience of the mainstream, so they deserve a lot of recognition. So instead of just naming one queer artist here, I'm actually going to go outside of queer pop and name my favorite alternative rock band that has emerged in the last couple years that feels very underground and undiscovered at the moment, and that band is Teenage Wrist. So Teenage Wrist I came across through Spotify's release radar playlist. They started putting songs by them on there. I'd never heard of them before. 
Spotify knew what they were doing because they sounded very much like 90s alternative, a mix of grunge, shoegaze, and punk pop. And I was basically sold very quickly. It didn't take long till they put out their first full-length album, Chrome Neon Jesus, just a couple months later. I fell in love with it immediately. And this was probably about six months before I discovered Troy Sivan and got super into queer pop. And after that, I stopped listening to rock as much. I kind of drifted away from the rock playlist I had followed and was really just throwing myself into queer pop fully. But a funny thing happened, Teenage Risk just kept going up in my listens. Whenever I needed a break from the queer pop, Teenage Risk kept becoming my go-to band. And at the beginning of 2019, they put out a three-song EP, which was led by the single Mary, and I loved it. Mary is everything I love about alternative rock wrapped into one. In fact, I would say that it is just as good as anything by any of the major grunge bands from the 90s or shoegaze bands. Just as good. I became obsessed with that song, and I just listened to it all year. And when my Spotify Top 100 for the year came out, it was mostly queer pop with about 14, 15 rock songs total, but half those songs were Teenage Wrist, and Teenage Wrist took the number one slot for the year with Mary, and they notched another song into the top five as well. And then for my top five artists of the year, they were number two between Kim Petras at number one and Years and Years at three. So again, it's so funny that just as I'm drifting away from alternative rock, I discovered these guys, and they kind of reignited the flame for me, and they're really keeping rock alive as far as I'm concerned at the moment. I've looked at some of their playlists for inspiration, They listen to everything from My Bloody Valentine to Toad the Wet Sprocket, and I'm all about that. And I have spoken to them a little bit here and there on social media. They seem like a bunch of really nice guys. I know that more material's coming because they've been working on it and recording as shown on their Insta stories. But yeah, I would say if you're a fan of alternative rock, specifically 90s alternative, whether it be shoegaze, grunge, punk pop, or let me name you some bands like Alice in Chains or Pearl Jam or Nirvana or Ride or Cat. Catherine Wheel or Jimmy Eat World or Death Cab for Cutie, I think you will be a very big fan of this band. I think they should be all over rock radio. I don't know why they're not, but I can't say enough nice things about them. They are easily my favorite rock band operating right now and one of the only rock bands that has my attention at the height of queer pop that we are experiencing right now. So that is my recommendation for an undiscovered band that I think deserves a larger audience. Want to know more about what Dougie has to say? Check him out online at www.dougiestyleclub.com and on Twitter at DougieStyle4. Out this week! What's up, everyone? We know that you're out there self-isolating, but that's not going to stop artists from putting out fantastic music. And we've got some brand new releases this week come from T. Thomason with Rose Cousins and King of Spades Part 2. We've also got the return of Ariella Jacobs, the Australian songbird, with her brand new single, Morning. Bryce has a new one out, Nostalgic, as well as PJ Brennan, and Late Youth. Plus, we've got new releases from Peter Jesse featuring Plastic Farm, Cameron, Brandon Kills, Sissy Rocket, Fruit, Teddy Jackson, Neo Tenwai, Mike Taylor, Esther Turner, Ethan Loomis, and Marcus Saint. And you can hear all of these online at each of those individual platforms of those artists or head on over to thequeview.ca and check out all the music. We've got it waiting for you.
Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Q Review LGBTQ Music Podcast. We leave you now with French DJ and producer Jack Millet and his song, Goodbye Forever. This is not goodbye forever for us. We'll see you next week. Clean it from the dirty ground I watch you fly away Who will you be when you come back down? I shouldn't care anyway I'll let you go Cause I had to You gotta do what you got to Cause I miss you Never